Good morning. How's everybody doing? All right, thank you for all the tearing. I appreciate everybody filling out the Connect card. I'm trying to get comfortable. Today is uh, kind of, the sun is kind of out there, thank God. Um, I need that. I'm starting to have that seasonal affect thing, especially those like two or three days it rained. That was like, oh. So we got a new sun lamp at home, so I'm trying to test that out to see if it works because I need that. There are things that I just kind of need to make me feel okay in the course of my day. I don't know if you're like that. I asked um, Gabriel, is that coffee? Is that coffee? I asked Gabriel um, yesterday, can we have hot chocolate today? There's just something about the smell of hot chocolate that just makes life better. I know some of y'all feel that way about coffee, and <laughs> I'm kind of mad at you about that, but I'm not. But is that, that it's like when you have like people bake cookies, oh, and you walk into the house, it is just like, okay, I can let everything down, and it melts off me, and I can sit. And I want it today to be that kind of day for us as we um, talk together. Now, it's an interesting day for me because I wrote my sermon, and I was really happy about my sermon. And, uh, oops, I got chocolate on me. And I um, saved my sermon. I opened my sermon up today. And I saved my sermon. And I went upstairs to print my sermon. And I can't find it anywhere. But when I was writing my sermon, I kind of felt like I wasn't supposed to write my sermon. God always seems to win, you know? I get mad about that stuff sometimes. <laughs> but I can see him giggling. So and, uh, the reason I wrote it, honestly, is because I'm kind of scared of y'all. And I want to have a really a, a nicely developed sermon. Some of that stuff comes out of um, being a multicultural church. And I'm actually on our sermon. I was going to talk about this stuff. Comes out of being a multicultural church and having been in places where there were um, white people and being challenged about how I did the things I did. It made me kind of nervous, you know, because I have to, I have to get it, an answer. And black church, it was just like, you know, there was a lot of freedom in there to be able to, to just roll with it, you know. But it felt like I had to have an explanation as I zigged and zagged. Um, so maybe today the Lord has me conquering a little bit of that, right? Is that that's a good thing, right? All right, and we can roll with it. So um, the thesis that I wanted to work with today was that, um, and today it'll be more in terms of a testimony that I won't allow fear, hostility, nor turmoil to rob me of the gift of life God has given me to live. There are two groups that I belong to. I belong to many groups, but two groups I want to talk about today that I belong to that I did not ask to be a member of. And I am still kind of mad about it because I didn't, I didn't ask. Um, the first group is cancer survivors. I am a member of that group. And you think, oh, that's good because you are on the survivor side. No, I'm still mad about the cancer side and that I'm there. I 
I want to share a bit about the, just the journey that was involved in that, and I want to tell you about the second set. Um, to receive a call, number one, to receive a call informing you that you have cancer, what is up with that? Where did that come from? I see it on TV, and they get to go to the office. The doctor sits them down in the office, you know, not the exam room, the office. So you know something serious is coming, but it's a little more personable. But I had a phone call from a doctor I did not know who told me, you have cancer. And I sat in my office terrified at home. I couldn't swallow. <laughs> I couldn't do anything. with. What do you do when you hear that, you know? So um, the first thoughts were of my family, my kids. Oh, my God, what am I saying? My kids, what does this mean that I have cancer? He's trying to give me all these details, and all I know is I have cancer. And what am I going to do? Oh, my God. 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 Um, and so I rallied my family. I figured out ways to tell them. I told my husband first. We had the conversation about whether we should tell the kids or find out more. And I was like, no. We have always been open. And I learned from, I had a miscarriage. And I watched a bunch of people, have, women have miscarriages. And I watched the different way they handled it and people, the things that people said. And the one thing I know is that one should never be alone with bad news like that. You shouldn't. Even babies. I think babies need to be celebrated from the time you know you're pregnant. If you're happy about being pregnant, let's celebrate. Because I don't know how long that baby's going to be with you. And so we should enjoy. That added something that that presence gives for a moment. And so I learned that, and I learned, okay, we're going to talk about this stuff. And I talked with my family. My daughter and my husband accompanied me to my doctor's appointments. Okay, so the first thing you have to do to survive cancer is survive when they tell you you have the diagnosis. You need to be able to sleep again at night. <laughs> you need to figure out the words to say, to tell people that you have this. You need to figure out, you know, because everybody's going to ask you what you need, and you don't know what you need. I don't know. I'm like, I need prayer. That was easy. Just call. I just want everybody on the face of the earth calling my name before Jesus. Uh, and then... You have to survive what you do next. And so my first thing was to write my primary and ask her for help. And she's a wonderful soul. And she told me what the process was. When you have cancer, you get a bunch of doctors. Oh, my goodness. So you have to survive the doctors. I got a surgical oncologist. I got a plastic surgeon. I got a radiation oncologist, and I got a medical oncologist, all of which I needed to meet before anything was done. Um, I met the surgical oncologist and just learned that he came with a bunch of people. So I felt like I didn't have choice. Who are these people? Then I met the plastic surgeon, and I realized I always have choice, because that dude was a jerk, and he was not touching my body. And I told him so, and I think you should speak up. Um, and so I met everybody. I got a wonderful plastic surgeon. You see, because cancer did give me a gift. Some people say this is inappropriate. I'm, I'm about life, y'all. The gift was a breast reduction. I'm like, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus. It gave, I was like, cancer's giving gifts. I'm all right for that one. But um, 
So you survive meeting all these doctors and they, as they tell you everything that you're going to go through. And then the first step is the surgery. So my parents, my mom came down, my dad was sick. My dad, oh my God, telling my dad I had cancer. My dad was already in bed sick, was just, oh my God. Um, but we talked and got to places where we could laugh and joke and that everything was going to be okay. My mom, my brothers came. It was great to, uh, I beat them there and they had me in the back, but I walked out from the back to see them and embrace them and that my family. Robbie, you know, Robbie was my champion, my husband. When the crazy plastic surgeon doctor started speaking crazy plastic surgeon things, my husband asked him what was wrong with his crazy acting self. Robbie grew up in the projects, you got to understand a little bit. So he can roll with it, right? Um, and he was just like, you're not speaking to my wife like that. I don't know what's wrong with you. And I'm like, he's getting, he getting some hero props over there, you know? And uh, gosh. So I was in the throes of it. I wanted to schedule the surgery, finally got it scheduled. I found out on April 9th, 2018. Finally went into surgery on June 5th and came out. So you gotta survive the diagnosis, then you survive the introduction to the doctors and their explanation of everything you're about to experience on the physical side. Had the surgery. I was happy, see, because all I wanted was to get that invader out of my body. It was this horrible thing. That's all I wanted. They invited me to Unite for Her, which is a wonderful organization. I don't want to be a part of that group. I don't want to go to any banquets. I don't care what you want to give me. Uh, I didn't win a prize. This is not Oprah. You know, you get a car, you get a car, you get a massage, you get acupuncture. They're, they're people who give really wonderful gifts to support you, but I didn't want any of that stuff. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to recognize anybody on the street. It felt like my body had betrayed me. In some ways, it felt like God had betrayed me because I've been a good girl. What's the deal? I've always been heavy, but I've been a healthy heavy. So healthy, it made my doctor, my first doctor here mad because she just kept trying to tell me to lose weight. And I had to go in for a bunch of tests and all the, the heart stuff. And it was cleaner than clean. And she's flipping through forms and getting mad. And I'm just laughing. And we had a little antagonistic relationship. Because <laughs> when I met her, I told her I was a minister. And she was like, I don't like y'all. <laughs> I was like, oh. <laughs> well, I can't say I don't like doctors, but I might not like you. So, <laughs> uh, but I was convinced I would win her over. But. She's looking, she's like, I'm like, you can't find anything to say lose weight. Lose weight anyway. I'm like, but I, I can take that. I can take that. <sighs> so survival. So I survived those things, and I had the surgery. Surgery is no joke. Now, you know how sometimes you want to ask people, is everything about race? I'm about to give you one of those things that you might want to ask that question, is everything about race, okay? Um... So, oh gosh, I can't tell you that story. Ask me for a story when we get one-on-one because -on -one, this one is just too much. But <laughs> in recovery, when I was waking up, they put me under a lot of anesthesia and it took me a long time to wake up. And then when I woke up, my body was exposed. And you know, the, the recovery room is just like a, a cow room. Everybody's there and they might have some, some curtains or something, but mine wasn't closed and it was, I was exposed. And I'm thinking, what is... I can barely wake up, but I know enough to know I want to cover up. 
And then this woman approaches me, crabby. You got to get up. You have to leave this hospital. We don't have time for this. You've been here all day. Do you know how long you've been here? Of course I don't. <laughs> so she's yammering, yammering. I'm, I'm trying to, uh, to get my, my bed up a little bit. And she is just, my brain is just too crazy. I'm just looking at who is this crazy woman fussing at me. And uh, she goes and gets my family. And they come in and have a seat. And this lady in front of my family starts fussing at me, okay? Now, this is the difference. Robbie said, excuse me? Now, that's the warning for everybody that knows. That's the one warning you're going to get, right? Excuse me. And she kept going. But this was a funny thing. I'm alert. I was alert enough to get this. My brother was sitting behind my husband, and he moved his foot, and he kept doing like this against Robbie's chair. And Robbie is having words with this lady. And he's like saying, stop, 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 because these people have to take care of Angel, and they might do something to her. Stop, stop, stop. And my husband, because he's been out of the projects longer than he was in the projects, and when they look at him, he's a respectable white dude, you know? He is in his white privilege glory. I'm going to talk about this, you know? This is my wife. And my mother is just sitting there nervous, just really nervous. And I'm like, this is a doggone dirty shame that even in the midst of this, we have to deal with these kind of issues. So she chilled and she left. My family helped me get dressed and I need to go to the bathroom. She came around to the bathroom to fuss with me. I am just like, by that time, I'm moving enough, right? And I said, woman, leave me alone. I don't know what's wrong with you, but leave me alone. Cancer and racism, it's a bad mixture, bad mixture. Because I did look around, everybody else was covered, and I was the only black chick in the room. It made me mad, vulnerable. I felt betrayed by my body put me in a place of vulnerability. I couldn't determine, or I felt like I couldn't determine my doctors. I know that fear. I dressed up to go to the doctor. I'm from the South. You dress up as a black person to go to the doctor because you want to put on all these layers of respectability so people will treat you well and give you the time and the attention that you need. And so I had to think about all of that, and I'm watching counterparts come in in yoga pants, you know, <laughs> and I can't do the yoga pants thing, you know? And then I have to flaunt my two degrees and this and this, and now we started having a more in-depth conversation because now I've proven that I'm educated enough to receive this information. I want to be a part of this club, but I'm not talking about the race club, but the race club is in every club. All right. So I survived the surgery. You go home, incredible pain. Started feeling good a couple of days later. I hate this club. They put so much stuff in my body. I went to take an allergy pill two days later, and I lost my mind. I got such crazy anxiety. I could not stay in a bed. I could not stay in the house. The darkness of the day would come and would feel like a wet blanket being placed over me. Everyone who suffers from anxiety is my hero because you figure out a way to go through each and every day with that anxiety. It, it, it was, 
I just paced the house. I made Robbie come downstairs. He'd look at me and then pass out, and then he'd wake up and pass out, and my kids would come in to look because I just had to walk the house all day. I had a dog with anxiety. She recently died. I had respect for my dog and cared for her because I understand that anxiety. You survive being told the diagnosis. You survive the surgery and all the crap with the doctors and stuff that you have with the surgery. Then you have to recover. It took me a few weeks to be able to move around. And still to this day, because they took some lymph nodes, I have to be careful about lymphedema in my left arm. So some of the basics mean I can't get any blood pressure or any work done. If they, if they do it, they have to do it on this arm. They can't do it on this one. And I have to be careful with exercising and things. The, the rule of thought is to take things slow. Okay. Oh, I didn't say this. Before I had surgery, I lost uh, about 50 pounds. Before all this stuff, I was told about all this stuff. So now, I've survived the diagnosis, I've survived surgery, and then I get word, oh, we didn't take enough margin, we have to go back in. So, a month later, I'm back in surgery. Oh, and it came with this, if you don't have the surgery, we won't treat you. So it came with threat. I wanna be part of this club. So I went and had the surgery. And then after that, I started radiation, which has its own joys to all that stuff going into your body. So, um, so I survived that. And now I'm over on this side where you have to deal with the regular treatment. And I have a hormonal oncologist or a medical oncologist who's a hormonal doctor. And she, I met her with her telling me that she would be the doc, my doctor for the rest of my life. I was like, well, I don't know that that's true, <laughs> but I get it. I'll have a medical oncologist for the rest of my life. And they put me on tamoxifen that I now have to take every day for the next, it used to be five years. Guess what, y'all? Moved to seven, and now it's ten. Ten years. Know what comes with that? Foggy brain, joint aches and pains. I put my feet on the ground in the morning and they hurt. My knees hurt. My arms hurt. I have to, so it, 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 it's interesting. I, I guess I'm coming to understand why they call it cancer survivor because I have to survive cancer every day. I have to eat better. I have to exercise, I gotta walk. Walk doesn't even count as exercise. I have to structure, have some structured exercise. I need meditation, I'm going in for that in yoga now. And so, so that I have to survive cancer each and every day of the rest of my life. But I finally went to a Unite For Her event. And I wanted to cry because it was nice to be with people who understood me who understood what it was like. It was nice to, though I'm hard-headed, I needed the advice and the direction. And uh, I needed that $2,000 worth of free gifts they gave me. Praise Jesus! <laughs> Hallelujah! <laughs> Which is tremendous. It's tremendous. And it was offered to me from a cancer survivor who decided there needed to be an organization to do what our medical insurance won't do. So I'm a survivor, I'm here, but I can't take it for granted. I still don't like saying that I am, because I never wanted it. But if you have to have it, 
I met some really neat people. And I can tell you that the idiot, excuse me, but I'm still, I'm, uh, I need to be saved. You know, this t-shirt said, I, may, I love Jesus, but I'll, I'm sorry. <laughs> the Lord's still working with me. Um, but I met a wonderful plastic surgeon who just was just a wonderful guy. Turned out this wonderful guy forgot to check something on the insurance form so he could take my insurance. But he knew what I'd gone through already and that I had to have that cancer out of my body. So when I got a letter, they had already been working on the insurance trying to get paid. And I called the office and his personal assistant picked up and said, we already know. And the doctor said, whether we get paid or not, he's doing the surgery. And he did not get paid. $50,000 surgery. Met some wonderful people. Robbie and I would go in. He'd make us the last appointment when we go in. And by the time we were done, all his staff was in the room with us laughing and joking. It was healing to my bones. And he knew I needed it. And we were able to give them encouragement and support. It was great. I thank God. And I thank God I'm here, alive, feeling healthy, well, don't like that my bones hurt. Got to have a conversation about my medication because if this is one year in and I don't want to walk, what are the next nine going to be like? So y'all can pray for me. So I'm accepting that I am a member of that club. Well, there's another club that I'm a member of, and I think that many of you are a member of it too. The initials are the same, C-S. I'm a member of a club that I call Church Survivors. Never wanted, you know, when I got saved, all we talked about was really Jesus and focusing on God. Nobody ever said too much about church stuff, right? But it was like, you assume that's the place you're going to go and that's the place you're going to end up is church because you're supposed to be there. And um, I came to realize, because I really didn't want to go, I liked the other events. I liked going to conferences and things and meeting in people's houses and talking. But I felt compelled to go to church. But as a little girl, I would watch things that happen in church. You know, I've joked about it. I watch people. I'm black church southern. People get happy, have a you know, holy dance, all that stuff. And, you know, some of that stuff was predictable. Some of it was, like, so phony. Some of it was very sincere, and I appreciate the, the mess out of it, you know? <sighs> but I would listen to my mother and other people talk about the mess in the church. And my experience of church when I was a young person was that the people were mean. I was like, oh, my gosh. You know, and then they wanted, and everybody, I mean, it's black culture anyway, everybody was your mother. <laughs> so everybody could tell you to do something, and you had to do it, and your mother would look at you like something was wrong at you, with you if you didn't, and you're looking at, who are you? Why am I? It's enough to deal with her. What? <laughs> so, but I was scared of them because they could get me in trouble. I had to survive first the introduction to the, ch the church as a non-Christian child. And by the age of 13, I stopped going. Then at 17, I became a Christian. I told you guys that story. And I got re-immersed. And I loved it. I had a whole different expectation of the church. I thought the church was the place to be. You got all kinds of people. It was neat. I could hang out with folks. We'd go to Bible study at the pastor's house. We'd have service together. We sang. Girl, I'm talking about singing. We didn't need music. We just sang. 
and all the parts came in, and it was wonderful, and we had such a good time. And people would make up songs, and we start singing. It was just really positive. We go to movies together, have dinner together, do, just do stuff and spend time together from the actual service like this to life. And I thought, this is the way. But then I hung around maybe a little bit too long. People think you're in with the pastor. Or I got accused. Oh, my gosh. Robbie and I went into the, this is a different church. We went into a church to practice because Robbie was the minister of music. Nobody tell anybody I said that. He hasn't played in years, but he, he was a minister of music and got me to sing. And the neighborhood, some, some lady in the neighborhood accused us of going in to do inappropriate things in the church. And when I went in the church, you know, you get that sense, that bubble, right? So I made sure every window in the front of the church was open, lights bright, so you could see everything that was going on in there. And still got accused of this foolishness. I was invited to minister at a church, and the church was going through some changes with their pastor. Pastor had died. They were looking for a pastor. Big uproar in the church. The pastor was, um, I need a polite word. He uh, cheated. He just cheated, 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 cheated. Lord have mercy, cheated. I did a woman's conference for them, and his his new wife was sitting at the table close to me. His ex-wife was over across the room. And then there were women sprinkled throughout the room that he had affairs with. And I was just like, oh, my God, where am I? So I had no interest in pastoring this church. But I went back home to my home church, and my pastor wouldn't talk to me. And I looked, and there was a, one of the deacons was in the room. And he said, they're looking for a pastor. They want you. They've been talking about you. And my pastor's response was not, isn't that nice? Or what do you think you should do with that? He wouldn't talk to me. I was a lead elder and uh, minister in the church. I was responsible for organizing a lot of the ministry. Our church was in the paper because while many of the churches on Washington Street in Boston were closed during the week, our church was open seven days a week with ministry flowing through. And I was responsible for that. And um, so his attitude was that I thought I was something now, and a big shot, and it was time to go, or I was thinking about leaving. And I just looked at him, I was like, I, and I had a meeting that I needed to lead with him immediately, and he got an attitude. <sighs> I um, survived polity changes with the church, where we had to think through uh, what our leadership would look like. And so we went from deacons to an elder and deacon structure. And I wrote the new constitution of the church. My pastor wanted all control of everything. I didn't believe in that. So the other elders wouldn't stand up. So I was constantly fighting with him. And I worked in the nonprofit that his name was on. So it was interesting. Anyway. Um, I gave the church the power of the budget. They could say yes, line by line. But they were still upset with me. And they didn't realize, I gave you the power to say yes, line 
by lying. He who holds the money holds the power in the church. And I literally, when we got to a meeting that everybody was in an uproar, had to say that. My pastor hadn't realized it yet. And he just looked at me. I didn't hide anything when I was doing it. <laughs> he just didn't think about it. <laughs> so <sighs> there were people who were called to ministry. And I felt like I really believed that I saw the Lord on them. And I had a pastor who did not want to recognize people and their giftings. There were people who wanted to go to seminary. And I had to fight for them. And I literally wrote their pastor letter and got him to sign it so they could go. I tell you these stories because while all the church stuff, oh, I can, one, one more church thing. When I was younger and just coming into leadership, I sat in the room, I would sit in the room with the men as they were talking about, as we were talking about issues, because they wanted me to be in the room, okay? It was funny. I stopped sitting in the room, and, and my husband asked me why he was in the room too. And I said, because we will talk about a subject, and I will offer what I think is a solution, and they will act like I never said a thing. And then a few minutes later, someone will, will say what I just said, and it's the best thing since sliced bread. So why should I stay in the room? And do you know what my husband said to me? Do you know that that man of mine said I was imagining things, that it was not happening? I was like, all right, fine. I'm going with the ladies. I'll be in the kitchen. So it happened again, and they called me out of the kitchen. No, they really want, the pastor really wants you to go. You know, and the pastor calls you, you're supposed to go, right? Back then. Uh, I hope it's still okay now, too. Y'all come if I wanted you. But anyway, um, so I went, and I, we did it again. And I sat there, and I listened to what they'd been talking about. And this, they called me special. And then I offered what I thought. Conversation went on. Then I'll never forget, Lewis Hamby said the same thing I just said. And this is what I heard in the room. Oh, my God. That was my husband. <laughs> and I looked at him. He was like, ah, baby, I am so sorry. I'm like, uh-uh, uh-uh. We'll handle that later. And he went to proceed to tell them what he just witnessed. And like, why am I good enough for the ideas? And you know you need me in the room for the ideas, but you don't want to acknowledge that the ideas are being generated from this female body. So sexism. I was a member of, uh, um, in college, um, in our church, <laughs> Uh, the Baptist Student Union, which was a Southern Baptist organization. Um, I was a student organizer, and they wanted me to become vice president for state, or actually wanted me to be the president for state, but because I was in Southern Baptist, I couldn't. I put together a presentation for uh, a summer mission work, and it was, really, it was really wonderful. God just really worked something. So next year, we do introductions of people who are going out, and the, the person leading it puts it together themselves. And I did it, and I had this group of, of white women approach me and tell me what an awful job I had done. They don't know why I had this position. Um, I needed to listen to them so, I, so they could help me understand what my responsibilities were. In my church, I joined a black Southern Baptist church, 
we had a dynamic group of wonderful people that attended, and uh, we were doing incredible things in the project areas and, and all. Um, and we were doing it ourselves. They had some uh, home missionaries who were there and had done the same thing. And what I was encountering was a bunch of adult people who only knew Bible stories. And I was offended. You're going to spend 35 years here, and all they know is about Noah's Ark? I'm offended. So the association got to talking, and the next thing we know, secretly, we didn't know that we didn't have the papers for our church. The papers for our church were in a safe in another church that helped start the church some 35, 40 years ago, years prior. And that church decided to give the association our, pro our property, and the association was making plans on kicking us out. No conversation, no nothing. Racism. But God is God. We kept the property, got, got everything. Everything worked out. And uh, it was an opportunity to build some relationships. But these things are buried deep in my heart, you know? And I remember. I remember like you remember your, maybe some of your encounters with the church and the pain that it caused. But I also want to share today um, the flip side. As a minister, what it means to be hurt by the church. Remember how I told you that um, some folks were able to go to seminary because I signed the paper? I never told them. We had an agreement as elders that we would not discuss the who agreed and who didn't agree and all the ramifications in our meetings, but we would come out with the unified decisions. I, th I thought that was a good decision. There were people in our church I had known for years, years and years. They knew me, ate at my table, babysat my children. They were home and family to me. One person in particular. When I got here, I went to seminary over at um, Palmer Theological Seminary. And I met up with this guy who got his paper so he could get into school and got him some money, who looked at me and told me how I was an awful minister, how I helped damage the church, how I damaged him. Not church went through an uproar because my pastor was selfish. It was just, that was true. But what he did not understand, because I kept looking at him, and I talked to him when all that stuff was going on, and I explained to him, this is what we decided. I cannot tell you the details. It is a matter of trust. And I agreed to this. And I would look and say, you know me. You know me. This is who I am. I am not changing on you. And when I have to get up and speak, because my pastor tried to manipulate because people, I'm genuine. And people are drawn, so he tried to use that to manipulate stuff. And I would walk that line, that tightrope, because I didn't feel like I should leave. Because sometimes people shouldn't leave. So I hear that stuff with the government and with all kinds of stuff. Your protest is leaving. Sometimes you're called to stay. Because you need to hold the door open so some other people can get out with some things intact. And that's what I was called to do during that time. And I sat in the parking lot with this man talking to me who babysat my children, who I love. I made him look, take a second look at his wife before, you know, to, to go start dating this wonderful woman. And he looked at me to tell me I was everything but a child of God, that I was horrible and I had done horrible things. And I looked at him and I said, bump you. And I didn't say that, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and I told him, because then I felt like enough years had passed that I could. And I told him everything that I had been through for him. He wouldn't even have gotten to minister once in the church. 
I went and did some speaking engagement somewhere else, and there were some old members of the church, and it was a multicultural setting. And I went and I had a fantastic time with them, sat with them, and they told me how horrible I was. And I had helped them. having all these encounters with church people who for some reason could not remember who I was, what I had done before, and what I was still doing that named me outside of who I was, and I trusted these people. The system can whatever, you know, because they're systems. Church the church is a spiritual thing. That's what I was trying to say last week. The church is a spiritual thing, but it's also a present historical physical thing. And we get to organize the church any way we want to. It doesn't have to have a worship, worship music, a sermon. It doesn't. It's whatever we decide we want to do when we gather together. It is an exciting time right now, I think, to be in a church because we get to redefine it. And Lord knows it needs to be redefined. People are not going because it's not speaking to them. People are not going because what the church has taught many of us is to fake and be phony and to present a false self. So that when you see someone being genuine, you, got, you, you take a step back because you're waiting for them to show you who they really are. Because in the back of your mind, there is suspicion and fear. One of the ladies who did my, um, who gave me the recommendation for this church called me and la laughed and she said, I think they really couldn't believe you were the person you present yourself to be. Not that, and, and please don't get me wrong, that's normal. That's normal because we're scared in this vital relationship. And guess what? I was afraid you all weren't being the people that you were presenting yourself to be to me. Same fears exist. What's the treatment for that? I had a prescribed treatment for cancer, but the cancers within the body of the Christ, we don't seem to have a prescribed treatment for. Well, don't you think we could be a church that will actually begin that process of determining the treatment? We know the first step with diagnosis. Most of us ran. Am I lying? All right, we left. But then there was something about Jesus and the good stuff of being with people, the good, sweet stuff, when we see the inbreaking of, of, of the kingdom of God in the midst of people, there's something about how sweet worship is when there are so many voices joining in and people are comfortable and can raise their hand or they're rocking and you see the sincerity and the overflow of who they are presented to God in fullness. There is something so very sweet about a group of people who decide they want to take on a project and they work out the kinks. There's something sweet to me. I know some people can't handle it. When two people who know each other can fuss with each other and still go make a peanut butter sandwich. That is sweet to me because we know that an argument, a disruption is about a thing and I'm not about my identity or yours. There is something beautiful about that. And that when we hash it out, we come back with something that was better than your idea or my idea because it was blended and it came out of the household. It came out of the people because God was with us in helping us use that gift of imagination and creativity to make a new thing. And the church needs to be a new thing. 
But if you are waiting for me to make this church a new thing, it is not going to happen because I can't do it by myself. The greatest joy to me is having coffee and tea or a meal with you guys. I'm not having enough of those, and you've heard me. I'm practically begging. So now I'm just going to have to come after you. And I think, it, it might, I thought that was kind of worse to do, right? Pick a call, because now you're under pressure. And I didn't want it to be a thing about pressure. But I don't know how to get to know you if you don't respond to me. I'm nervous in the church right now because it's hard to get people to volunteer. And part of me is asking the question, is it me? What's going on? You know? So... I'm struggling with understanding because I only gain understanding in the course of conversation. I don't want to make assumptions. I've lived with assumptions. I don't want to do that. And if it's me, I don't have to stay. I believe this place is a wonderful place with the right leadership. It can grow. It's a wonderful thing. But we got to get together and figure out how we can get together to talk about it, to talk about what we'll do, what we'll be. I don't care if we had church service on Thursday and no other day of the week it's fine with me believe it we can get that creative and out of the box I don't want to be in anybody's boxes and for anybody that's being putting me in the box because my words tend to be churchy I never wanted churchy language but people weren't listening to me till I learned the lingo it's true so I had to learn it now I got it and people don't want to hear it so now I got to strip it off. But I like some of the words because, because when I had to take the lingo on, I had to go and research the words because I needed to use, what, use them in the way they were intended to be used. So I've come to value some of that language. I'm not using it in some of the old ways. So I want you to give me the benefit of the doubt, okay? And that doesn't mean, because you know, I don't want you to believe it because I said it, but that means you come and talk to me. Because there's churchy things I do need to strip off, just like you all do. And we can help each other strip those things off for a pure presentation of each other in Christ. Real, right? You think? Am I by myself with that thinking? Oh, okay. Oh, I got Oh, I got Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I would love to do Sunday morning service with spoken word and have different people. I mean, there is a number of ways we can do some things as creative as you want to be. So tell me, you think we need to put a box in the, in the back or on a stage and let people put stuff in? So their ideas. In. However, somebody help me come up with ways to help hear you all so we can move forward in a different way. And might get mad at me. Poor Jessica. Jessica is hustling, man. Trying to find people to do this and find people to do that. And her heart is so big. And she's very sensitive. And I love her. And I thank you all for giving her to me as my first administrator. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. The list of things for Gabriel to do is longer than the length of the floor in this building. Do you know that Gabriel only works, he's the building manager. You know he only works 10 hours a week? He cannot do all the things we need to do from putting in the, the, the coffee and cocoa and all this stuff on Sunday morning and cleaning up after us. Newsflash, I need everybody to make sure you put your cups in the trash after service. Thank you. Um, 
So we need more people involved on some things. But we're all afraid that uh, they're going to pull me in, they're going to suck me in, and what happened last time is going to happen again. And you know what? It might. But I can tell you one thing. Now, when a black woman says, I can tell you one thing, or let me tell you something, <laughs> you know you need to listen. It could happen if you let it happen. But if you speak up and say, I'm going to joke again, not today, Satan. Not today. No, I don't want to be treated that way. Then it won't happen, and we all have to change. You know, the, 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 the main ingredient to change is you change. Because when I change, you can't stay the same, because I'm not doing the things you're used to me doing so you can respond in the way you're used to responding. So when I do something different, even if it's just one little, any, many little tiny, and guess what the first response is from people? Mad. People get mad as crap, man. You have turned, you changed, and I got it, what? And they try to make life uncomfortable so you can go back to what you were. So they can be who they were. But you got to know enough and be steady in your course that, no, I like living like this. I'm going to live like this. And if that means you have to remove yourself from my presence, that's your choice. That's not mine. I want you. But I want you like this in health. So I said I'd talk about the structure of the church last week. And this is what I got for you. The question, what's our church? What should our church look like now? I know what we were. You guys have given me beautiful stories of what this church was like. And then I get to the pause where people are like, and I don't know now. So, are we going to leave it at the I don't know? Or are we going to create, participate with God in creating a new thing around here? Is it, angel just try a bunch of things? I do not like that throw spaghetti up against the wall and see what, what sticks. Number one, I got to clean the wall. <laughs> don't like that. But you've been here. So you are my sources. You are my sources and my support. And I want it. I want to try services with no musical stuff. We have gifted musicians. I just want to try some stuff with voices. I need somebody who's bold enough to try to lead that. I'll join you. I would do it, but maybe this is God's way, because I would probably try to do everything in this church. I don't believe God took my voice or anything. I just had that thing there that's pressing on my vocal cords. And, uh, but I believe he can heal me, and it's been shrinking. He just won't make it shrink quick. And... Or I would be up trying to sing more, but I don't need to do that because we have enough people. There is enough gifting in this house to do what we need to do. And the first thing we need to do is grow. Because when we grow, the demand for your time will, will lessen. There'll be more people to carry the weight. And so we extend always the invitation because something new is happening here, something special, I believe. Unless, you know, tomorrow I get a phone call and y'all kick me out or something. I don't believe that's coming, um, that we can. We can. We can do so much. So in the newsletter, more people are opening the newsletter. Thank you. Please open the newsletter. Um, my action steps are really simple. So my action step for this week, I had to write it earlier because Jessica is taking some time off. So this is a new action step. 
send me an email or a phone call and maybe we can add my phone number to the newsletter and let's schedule some time together. I won't keep you long and guess what? I'll pay for it. <laughs> well, in truth, y'all paying for it, but I'll pay for it. <laughs> Amen. Is that okay? Is it okay that I didn't crack up and say, crack open the Bible and say, thus saith the Lord one time today? But it was full of Jesus, I believe, and what we were talking about. We are big-headed babies in Christ. Sometimes I think that. We need that application. How do we live this thing together? God has a plan for us that's very unique. I'm so glad we're inclusive. I'm really glad we're anti-racist. I'm still scared of y'all sometimes. But I need you to help me with that. Um, I need to belong. I need to feel like I belong. Just as much as you need to feel that. So call me. Number two, talk to somebody that you don't usually talk to. Welcome them. Ask a name. Don't be embarrassed if you forgot a name. Let's talk to each other. I think we need to date as a church. We need to fall in love again. So date your church. And I'm putting my date stuff out here. It's my, my play. I got game. Let's go have some, <laughs> some coffee and tea and get to know each other. Pray with me, please. Our God and Father, we thank you that we can just be honest and talk about the stuff of life. I thank you that you've helped many of us survive church, and I thank you that there may be someone here who don't know that pain that we've talked about. Thank you for that and for them. Thank you, Lord, that for whatever reason, you've caused us not to give up. And while many have thought of this place as a refuge, um, that they had one foot out the door of the church, actually, it's that they had one foot remaining in you, in the church. And I thank you for that, that you never let us go that you always give us a reason to hope. So we present Mosaic Community Church to you. Do with it as you will, Father. We promise that we will give your name praise and that we'll do our best to love the people you bring to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. <laughs>